0: Welcome to the Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, brought to you by Amoria Bond. In each episode, Amoria Bond will interview a prominent leader from across their specialist STEM sectors to discuss their personal experiences of progression and share invaluable insights and inspiring anecdotes of what progression means to them. This is Progressing Lives Everywhere.
1: Hello, I'm Natasha Crump, an advisor to the Amoria Bond Board on Strategic Programs and Group Diversity and Inclusion Lead. Part of my role at Amoria Bond has been to review the company's environmental impact and corporate social responsibility commitments, which have been long-term strategic priorities for the board since the company was founded in 2006. Across our specialist STEM sectors, the sustainability and ethics of end products and services, manufacturing processes, and general operations and supply chains has become increasingly important, if not essential. My guest today is Duncan McCauley, Head of Sourcing, Sustainability, and Innovation at Bunzel Retail Supplies, part of the Bunzel PLC Group. Duncan's role bridges the chasm between commercial and consumer perspectives, giving him a unique end-to-end view of sustainability in business. From the technology, innovation, and manufacturing of sustainable solutions, through the end-to-end supply chain and procurement journey, literally all the way from raw materials to end products. No pressure, Duncan, there really is going to be something for everyone in today's episode of the Amoria Bond Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast, so welcome.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Natasha.
1: It's great to have you here, Duncan. Having studied physiology and sports science at university, you started your career in the IT industry where you worked your way up through the ranks of purchasing at PC system build companies, becoming Purchasing Director at VIP Computers in 2005. Then, after 11 years, you pivoted into an entirely different sector, initially taking an interim role with a startup, Hotel TV, before joining Bunzel. Why did you decide, Duncan, to move out of an industry sector you knew so well?
2: That's a good question. I think coming out of university, I was really interested in technology and um, I've always been fairly fascinated on, on products and the technology and all the latest gadgets that are, that are coming out. And throughout my sort of IT career, that, that was always a, a major, a major part of it. And I think after being in the role of purchasing director for, for 11 years, I got to a point where I was looking for a new challenge. The products were the same, or there was a lack of change in the industry. And I think from my point of view, I was getting stale and ready for for something really different. So having left there, I was really looking for a new challenge. And I thought a new sector would give me that to, to really get stuck into and start really a learning journey again.
1: Sustainability wasn't initially part of your brief or job description, if I've understood correctly, when you first joined Bundle Retail Prize. And When we've spoken previously, you talked about, setting up a dedicated sustainability venture as something of a leap of faith, both for you, I think, and for Bunzel themselves. Why did you do it then? Why was it important to you?
2: I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. So when when I came into Bunzel, it was looking after some of the larger categories around plastic, so bags for a lot of the retailers that we service. As I delved sort of into the manufacturing of that and got a good understanding of it, it really dawned on me how much importance there was in the recycling of the product and how much sustainability was playing a part in it. And and our retail customers, the journey that they're going on at the moment is all around how the sustainability of the products that we're supplying into them can be improved, so the environmental footprint. So from a commercial perspective, I knew that it was an area that we needed to drive into to look at. You know, what can we do to stay at the forefront of these products? But at the same time, you know, it was really interesting to see how the materials and the change of the materials, the sourcing of the materials could make a real difference and how we could prove that.
1: Your own kind of career and progression suggests that you're very much drawn to innovative companies and innovative roles. I'm interested to know who has inspired you then throughout your career?
2: I'd say along along the way, the various bosses that I have that I've had within the different organizations you know really have i've taken bits from all of the leaders that i've uh, worked with and, and and that's inspired me in terms of in terms of really pushing forward so a lot of the businesses that i've worked for have been privately run entrepreneurial businesses that really look at pushing the boundaries in terms of the products that, that they're bringing to market so you know early on it was the pc system build industry where PCs were new and it was a fast growing market and it was how we could capture that business and, and, and really be at the forefront of that. And, and the, the MD of that company at the time was you know, quite inspirational in terms of really encouraging us to, to look at these new products and work hard with the suppliers. And I think in, in that sector, it's important to be on the front of it. So innovation is key and staying ahead of the competition um, is, is fast moving, lots of change going on. And there's an opportunity and a lot of a lot of businesses were very, very successful at that time on the back of the the growth of the PC industry. So I think the leaders that I worked with, you know, they were all we had good insights into the market. I think it really encouraged me to look at what was different. and, And rather than just accepting the status quo, really challenging everything from whether it was the role or whether it was the product that we were working with.
1: So those things that you you saw in other leaders and people who you've worked with, how do you apply that? to your own approach to managing your teams, inspiring, progressing other people?
2: For me, it's maybe giving space to to my team to look at and encouraging them to look at things differently, always looking for new opportunities. So again, any role that, that I've taken on or that people that work for me have taken on, after a certain point in time, it, it can become very much the norm. And I think it's constantly looking to see how can we change that, what can we do better. And if it's on the product side, because my background is in procurement, much of my time is spent talking to suppliers. You know, there's a wealth of information out there from the suppliers. If you ask the right questions, you can understand or you can learn a huge amount from them. So, you know, I treat a lot of the supply meetings that I have as an opportunity to learn. And hopefully that's something that, you know, I encourage within within my team and constantly get them to look for the next new thing or, or how we can do things differently for, to, for improvement and then ultimately for our customers.
1: So it sounds to me that collaboration is a key part of your approach then to your role and to your approach to managing your teams.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Collaboration is key, particularly in the role that I'm in now. So the role sits within the procurement function within within Bunzel Retail and we go cross category. So we have a number of different categories of products that we supply into our retail customers. So we work with the category managers across all of those categories, and we're looking for opportunities to talk to their suppliers and see what they're doing that maybe will come to fruition in 12 months time uh, or, or even further down the line. So it's it's really flooring and opening up conversations with the suppliers to, to see what's, what's coming. So collaboration is key with the suppliers, then we've got a collaboration piece internally. So working with the category managers, with the sales teams, so that we can discuss where these opportunities may fit. And then ultimately taking those onto the customers and seeing how it will fit within their organization to hopefully land some of these um, sort of new opportunities.
1: You're talking there about the future opportunities, and that's something I'm going to come back to in a little bit. More detail later because i 'm really interested to get some insights from you about some of the things you 've seen that could be uh, coming our way in the future before we go there, though, I mentioned in the introduction this kind of growing trend and momentum towards sustainability that seems to be cutting across sectors i 'm really interested, Duncan, to understand your perspective on what 's caused that shift
2: yeah, absolutely so so my as we said at the beginning, my background is, is definitely not in sustainability my background is in procurement and looking at things from a commercial perspective but my eyes have been open to it as I've gone as I've learned more about the products and learned more about the manufacturing techniques and without a doubt over the past 2 3 years there's been a huge shift in momentum specifically on sustainability i think some of that has been as a result of the media so david attenborough has been hugely influential in 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 making the change in the in the public perception which is driving some of this change and i think a lot of a lot of big businesses have realised the importance of it for some time, but haven't necessarily put it at the forefront of their agenda. But it's really, it's really moved on over the past few years, and I think even now with COVID, although we've had a period of, of sort of focusing on keeping the business ticking, I think as we come out of this, it's going to be a huge change and, and drive forwards again in, in the world of sustainability to you know, to make sure that the products, the the suppliers, everything, looking at it from an environmental point of view, that we are considering what we're doing to the planet and making changes within our remit. So, yeah, I I mean, I think sustainability for me is something that I've learned over the past three years in order to do the role that I now do. And, you know, it's really interesting. There's lots of stuff happening. It's almost so broad and so wide that it's hard to keep track of the various developments that are happening on a regular basis. But certainly it's going to you know, the impact of it is going to increase in the coming years.
1: You mentioned there about how broad and wide this kind of whole area is, just even thinking about how complex supply chains can get when you start looking under the bonnet. Where would you suggest to a company that they should start if they haven't considered ethical supply chains and sustainable sourcing in the past? Or if they have, but they simply know they want to or need to get better, where do they start?
2: My take on that would be to start by asking, just asking questions of the supply chain. So you know, there is a huge amount of it that is, is common sense in terms of asking suppliers, where do the materials come from? How are they producing those materials? What are they doing to ensure that they are looking after the environment, that they're looking after the workforce, that everything is being treated responsibly? And a lot of the manufacturers will know much of this already um, it's just opening the door to it and then once that conversation starts it can then lead on to you know a whole host of different things within Bunzel we're quite fortunate you know we have teams of people that can can assist in terms of looking at the ethical side we work with a couple of accreditations that can help us and, and, and we do audits within the factories but it's starting by asking the questions and, and sort of digging into it and I think through that process, you can then get a feel for how important it is for the manufacturer and how much time they spend on it.
1: You mentioned accreditations there, and it, it brought to mind a wonder are there any particular accreditations that you think are really worthwhile pursuing? And also, are there any kind of companies that you're aware of or organizations that you're aware of that you would actually recommend as sources of kind of help and support in this area?
2: So it, it depends on which particular area we're looking at because I mean, sustainability is very broad. My remit within that is really around the materials uh, themselves. But as I've been sourcing various products, the ethical side has always been really important to us. So it's something that we've questioned heavily. Now we work with SEDEX and we work with and uh, all our manufacturers have to become members of SEDEX, which is a sort of self-certification and, and questionnaire based scheme that will highlight or will, will share the details of the ethical side of, of, of a business. Um, but we also then, in high risk areas, we will look for a SMETA audit where there's much more due diligence done to look at the, the ethical nature of that uh, manufacturer. And we would then use that as a basis uh, based on the scores that come out of that SMETA audit um, in terms of working with that supplier. So, in terms of the certification that we look for, that's one of them, for example. But when it comes to a lot of the other areas, it's very difficult because Something like recycling, recycled material, there's a, there's there's new legislation coming that is going to look for recycled material in products. Now, you can't actually test. There's no simple test for recycled material at the moment. So a lot of the work is done through auditing, going in, looking at the factories, asking what they're doing, and really through questionnaires and auditing, getting that information. So it's very dependent on what aspect of sustainability that you're looking at. And as I say, my, my expertise is definitely not in the ethical side. You know, we follow the guidelines of what's being put forward by, by our organization and SEDEX and, and SMETA we feel is a is a good good way of addressing that. But in some of the other areas, we're finding our feet as we go. These changes are happening very quickly, and you know, the government are putting out legislation, that helps. We've got organizations like RAP that can advise on a huge amount of good practice that should be taking place on on um, on, on sustainability
1: talking about sustainability credentials given memoria bonds a recruitment company we obviously work with our clients and help them in what is a very real fight for talent and i wonder moving forward how important you think businesses sustainability credentials and track record of ethical sourcing are going to be in attracting and retaining the best innovation talent regardless of sector yeah I
2: think it's really interesting so to give an example we ran some workshops or we ran some reviews within the business where we shared some of the activities that we were doing so we pulled various people from the organization in in sort of operations or in sales or in the different divisions and we gave an insight to some of the stuff that we were doing so um, from our team we shared we shared a lot around sustainability and innovation and the appetite across the business when they came to our session on sustainability and innovation was huge. You know, there's loads of questions. We ran out of time and, you know, we had a number of groups coming through and it was really positive to see all of these different people getting involved, wanting to understand more. Everybody, as well as being involved in an organization, is also a consumer themselves and they're aware of what's going on in the supermarkets and what's going on across the media. and Without a doubt, I think the new talent coming into businesses are asking the questions. They want that transparency. What are we doing as an organization to be more sustainable, to be more ethical, to be more diverse? a really, really high point on the agenda, I think far more so now than you know, when I came into or started when I left university, it wasn't high on the agenda at all. Now, I think it's, it's one of the questions that, that comes up very, very soon in the, in the sort of interview process
1: yeah absolutely that's something I totally recognised myself we've recently done an internal cultural survey and it was you know it's in terms of comments again within the recruitment industry really really massive appetite for more of the kind of things that are already in place from from an environmental impact perspective in particular much much more comment and sort of demand really positive demand for for action and for, for companies to be seen to be taking action and it's interesting isn't it? that that is cross sector it's not now seen as something that's a priority just for maybe technology or manufacturing businesses but actually in order to survive and thrive it's going to be something moving forward that everybody needs to be looking at
2: you know i think the the opportunities in sustainability are also much bigger than they were previously as well so because of that it's it's coming to the forefront so even in an organization now we're we're sharing a lot more as a business about what we're doing both internally and externally so the more you share the more it becomes transparent and the more people start to ask questions when there isn't anything discussed it, you know it's just not on the agenda at all you know without a doubt the best talent wants to work in organizations that are ethical that do consider their sustainability uh, re- requirements and so you know for us it's, it's really nice to be involved in a an area of the business you know that's growing and, and and is getting so much attention
1: there must be days where you go home as well and you've learned something so so interesting or new with some of the technologies and innovations that you're seeing with some of the remote materials
2: yeah i mean absolutely it's as i said to you before it's, it has been a really a really st- sort of steep learning curve I mean, learning about plastics my background didn't stretch that well in the in the or didn't go that far into chemistry as i've gone into the production of a lot of the products that we supply I've had to increase my knowledge on the various types of plastic and what the properties are and you know all that's been really interesting to see how that then plays out and how somebody in learning chemistry at an early age how it can impact and and be part of a role such as mine I'd never envisioned getting into something like that partly learning the materials but then I guess the products themselves so one of the products that we have been looking into or we worked on initially was compostable bags and so the bags that the co-op are now using we, we were involved in that from a, an early point and developing those over a period of time and then bringing it to fruition you know having those bags across um, uh, across all of the supermarkets within the uk and and changing that perception of of consumers where they now don't just see it as a bag they can look at it they can take it home they can put the food waste in it and then put it in in a food waste bin know it's really empowering to see that we can make that much change and you know having gone through that journey it's satisfying once it actually lands with the consumer and you see the popularity of it now it can be as challenging as it is rewarding in that you know sustainability is really confusing there's a lot of retailers that would look at compostable products and say that's not for us they'd rather stick with recycled products and recyclable products Navigating what works for some retailers and what works for for other retailers is is quite a challenge. And there is no, you know, in a lot of um, a lot of products out there at the moment, there is no clear-cut guidance to say this product is better than this product. You know, from a bundle perspective, we're researching and investigating all of these different types of products, and then you know we'll present them to our customers to say, you know, does this fit with do any of these fit with your requirements and 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 really work with them on the ones that suit are suitable for them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it has been really interesting, you know, the the journey in terms of understanding and and, and learning all around this sector.
1: So, go on then, Duncan. What's the most exciting innovation that you've seen that gives you hope that it's possible for us to all build back better, to coin a phrase?
2: In terms of exciting things. So, we, you know, when I came into the role, I, I looked at it and thought, oh, bags and packaging, it's not the most, you know, having come out of the tech sector where you've got iPhones and all different technology coming out on a regular basis. The packaging sector was was fairly stable, but um, actually there is a whole load of innovation that's taking place at the moment. And you know, we've been looking at so many different things. So if you look at catering consumables, so things like straws, drinking straws, we've been investigating all sorts of materials. They've obviously gone from plastic to paper, which a lot of people don't like because they don't perform as well. But we've looked at edible straws. So you know you can eat the packaging that you've you've used. Now they, as much as they garner attention, there hasn't been a huge amount of uptake on those. But you know, there's so many other things. Like we're working on. We've looked at one particular manufacturer who is looking at an alternative to polystyrene. So all of the nasty, squeaky polystyrene that surrounds all of the TVs and all the different electronic products that's out there. It's polystyrene or expanded polystyrene is is actually is one of the items that's being banned as part of the um, legislation so we're actively trying to find alternatives for that and one of the products that we've been looking at is is a fungus-based product mycelium where they take agricultural waste and they grow this fungus around the agricultural waste it takes about 7 days to grow uh, this molded substance that acts very similar to polystyrene so it has all the same properties for protecting products and then at the end of its life you can crumble it down and put it on the you either put it on the flower bed or you can put it into your green bin you know, that's one of the ones that we think is, is is brilliant and that, you know, could replace a huge amount of products out there. But it takes time, you know, it takes time to get some of these products into the retailers, into the manufacturers to say, you know, to look at it and say, this is for us. And something like that being so different takes time because you know, customer perception is is key as well. So if you try and move too quickly, sometimes it doesn't, um, sometimes it has a, a negative impact rather than the positive impact that you're looking for.
1: How frustrating can that be? That you know that there's a really good solution, but you have to kind of take baby steps towards it because of human nature. That you know we like we like to take change slowly, don't we?
2: Yeah, very. I mean, for every new innovation that we bring forward, it's only a very small amount that actually lands with the customers. And I think that's that's something that you know we we've had to temper our enthusiasm for within within the team because we you know we see all these things and we think they're great, but actually there's a lot of a lot of reasons why some of these innovations can't be put into retail either well certainly straight away but you know even even sort of longer term there's a lot of different stakeholders within a business that that have a an input into the decision making process and you know whilst it's good for certainly good for the sustainability team the branding team might have a different opinion or the or the procurement team you know it might be slightly more expensive so there's, there's so many different people pulling in different directions, but yeah, it, it sort of goes with the territory, unfortunately.
1: So in the interest of kind of driving forward positive change, even beyond supply chains and sourcing, there are lots of opportunities, aren't there, for organisations, regardless of sector, to make a difference in terms of their environmental impact and to contribute through supporting social enterprises, for example, or through their CSR commitments i'm interested to know what sort of projects have you seen well that perhaps businesses could consider supporting or getting involved with i know that when we've chatted before we've talked for example about supporting projects that turn ocean plastics into pellets for example
2: so one of the really interesting projects that i have been involved with is a scheme that looks at so every year there is a huge amount of uh, plastic which is which ends up in the ocean and I think they say I think it's eight eight million tons a year gets gets dumped into the ocean of the three hundred million tons a year of plastic that's produced, and that's still happening now, so that's still going on in in many areas of the world, and there's some really good reasons for it in in Indonesia, for example, there's no clean drinking water, so everything is supplied in bottles, and given the fact that the temperature is 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 thirty degrees odd every. Every day, there's a lot of water that is consumed, and those bottles have to go somewhere. Now, there is no, there's no waste infrastructure like there is here in the UK. So, without official waste infrastructure, much of that waste then gets either burned or ends up finding its way into rivers and and into the ocean. So, we worked with a scheme in Indonesia called Prevented Ocean Plastics, and I've been out there twice now to look at the the operation, and they are paying local people to collect all of these bottles. So in many cases, it's a, a second income for families that you know, live in these areas and that don't have a huge amount of income. And they, they can collect this plastic, they can then take it to a collection center and sell it and they'll get a, an income for that. That plastic is then taken onto a recycling center and turned into the plastic pellet. And our role in that then is partly overseeing that and looking at it to make sure that it's, it's done ethically but then taking that pellet and using it to make some of the products that we supply into the retailers. So one of the areas that we've been actively working on is, is some of the, um, some of the bags that are currently for sold in the, in the supermarkets, could we find a way to change those and use this particular plastic, which then drives that whole supply chain and, and provides more of that income and eventually changes behavior and stops a lot of this plastic going into the ocean. So, you know, that's one example, you know, there's, there's countless different projects out there at the moment where people are looking at different ways of providing a benefit or stopping some of the, the behaviours that are causing much of the problems that we're seeing, mainly in those other areas of the world where they don't have the infrastructure.
1: That's a really fascinating project. You have talked a lot about the importance of ethics and ethical supply chains and the ethics of what you're doing clearly really important but it's also incredibly difficult to monitor that isn't it is that something that you find can be a barrier the fact that the whole process is so complex that actually it creates barriers to companies taking steps forward to really progress kind of with ethical commitments because of the fear of not being able to fully manage the end-to-end process.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the retailers are massively scrutinized in terms of what they're supplying onto consumers. And there's many stories in the press of various supply chains, you know, where situations have arisen where workers have been treated badly or nasty products have leaked into the environment, whatever. So I think, you know, now more than ever, the retailers are very wary about new manufacturers. So there is a a high degree of due diligence and and checking on new suppliers. So that slows down the process of of bringing in some of the change that everybody's crying out for. And it takes time. We do use organizations to help us audit and go through these ethical checks. But in Asia and some of the other areas of the world, actually pinpointing things. So take, for example, the prevented ocean plastic. These, These people that are collecting the plastic you know what seems like a really positive step for producing this material or collecting this material you know th- there could be a, a dark side to that we could have you know children being used to collect all this plastic and then gangs being in place that's taking this money away from them after they've collected it so you know how we can check all of that is the question and how can we then give that reassurance to the retailers to say actually yeah everything you know we we've checked everything and and there's nothing untoward happening on the supply chain the ethical side particularly on some of the more groundbreaking schemes is is very challenging where you've got established manufacturers i think it's a lot easier you know you you, you have a set process for checking all of the ethical requirements but some of these new schemes that are up and running, it's it's a lot more difficult.
1: Frustrating, then, as well, given that those pro- projects, like the one you've just, done, the scheme you've just spoken about, just sounds such a fantastic idea. It sounds like a you know a no-brainer on the on the face of it, and yet there are still risks and things that have to be considered that probably you know the likes of me would never even consider in the process. What Duncan, would you say are the kind of key pitfalls that companies should be mindful of and careful to avoid when they're looking at introducing sustainable practices within their business?
2: Probably the, the key thing from my experience is, is probably greenwash, the sort of overpromotion promotion of products and services that claim to be something that they're not. There's countless examples of it where we've we've come across something which you know, on the face of it, seems fantastic, and then the more due diligence we do on it, we realise actually the credentials aren't there. It's, it's, it's slightly overstated from what it actually is. So I think there is a huge commercial opportunity at the moment around sustainability. So the potential for a number of organisations to overclaim what they're offering is quite high. of the values involved in, you know, if we can make if these products come to market, there's a huge amount of um, sales on the back of it. You know, anybody looking at the sustainability side of the products that they're sourcing, now they need to ask the questions, verify it, check it, and just make sure that it is as good as it claims to be.
1: It's the message there to definitely do it, but just make sure you're doing it right.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, don't not do it for that reason, but do check that it is the right. You know, it, it is for the right reasons, and it is. What it says it is.
1: Brilliant. Thank you, Duncan. I've got one more question for you. What would you tell someone who is looking to progress, a goal or ambition in their life, something, maybe an insight from your own career that's helped you progress?
2: For me, it's about really constantly looking at what is new or what people can do, what people can do differently. So I think there's you know, you're a long time working and it's really for me, it's really important that you enjoy what you do and at the point which you don't continue to enjoy it, then you need to look at a change. And I think that comes through keeping it fresh. So even you know if you've been in a role for a long time, you can still keep it really fresh by looking at different things and changing it and improving it. Um, you know, For us on the innovation side, that's really key, challenging everything that we come across to say, how can this be better? You know, can we make it? cheaper can we make it lighter can we make it out of different materials from my role looking at where i was previously and i was in that in a role for 11 years i think you know i was probably in there a little bit too long almost because you know eventually i was getting stale and i needed that new challenge so looking for opportunities to to learn new things and learn about new sectors new suppliers that for me really makes it interesting so Whilst the products that I used to enjoy, all the tech products, you know, uh, were great. Eventually that got sale for me. You know, it wasn't as attractive, as interesting as it as it first was. And it became more about the relationships, you know, the suppliers, the different manufacturers that we were working with. That was far more interesting for me and how we bring new products to our customers. Yeah, for me, it's, it's sort of keeping moving, looking at, you know, what is the next thing? That would be my take on it. And, you know, within Bunzel, there, there is a lot happening. Bunzel's taken a leap of faith with my team in terms of investing in this and saying we want how do we become more proactive so that we can help our retailers. And you know, that for me's been really great. We're really trying to bring all this stuff to the fore and and focus on anything new and, and interesting to our customers. So I'd, I'd say that's my key thing that I've learned. And, you know, when you get stale, make a change.
1: That's a really great note to end on. Looking forward not getting stale and making a change. Duncan, genuinely, it's been really great talking to you today. You've given some really thought-provoking and fascinating insights. And I just want to say thank you so much for joining me today on the Amoria Bond Progressing Lives Everywhere podcast.
2: Thanks, Natasha, yeah, really enjoyed it.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Progressing Lives Everywhere, brought to you by Amoria Bond. We hope you enjoyed this episode Please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. Every time you do, it helps others find the podcast. For more information on Bond's specialist services and to access the podcast show notes, head over to amoriabond.com. Join us next time as we continue to progress lives everywhere.